Welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years experience of mental health, disability and human behaviour. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. So welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast. I'm Dr. Tara and today we have a really remarkable guest. So I have with me Tony Fisher, who is going to introduce himself. So as I always say, I don't do my guests justice when I introduce them. So hi, Tony, welcome. Hello. Yeah, well, my name's Tony Fisher and uh, I'm based in Derbyshire and uh, I'm a sort of, well, photographic artist and poet. Etc. And you have some amazing Facebook websites that we will tag for people. So they have a lot of your work is visual because you're an artist as well. Yeah. You have an incredible story, which is why I was so glad when you reached out um, and said that you'd love to come on, on the podcast. So what we will do at the end of the episode is put some links so people can find you, but they'll also be in the show notes as well for people because people need to see your work. They need to read your blogs, your story, um, and find out more about you. Um, so I want to kind of start, you've had a journey, you've had a background, which is what brought you on the podcast today. Do you feel comfortable telling us a little bit about your history, your journey, particularly with kind of facing adverse events? Okay, sure, yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, uh, back in the the day, in the um, 70s and 80s, I I did the uh, art college and the university bit and everything, and, uh, and at that time... I uh, was involved with different groups in Nottingham in England and um, I made films mainly at the time and I I was fortunate to go all over Britain showing films I'd made and other people and I went to America twice, did a tour of America with, um, well, New York mainly in Boston, that sort of thing, with films Mm. and all that. And then so your life kind of uh, seems to go into different phases and blocks. So I look back at that time, why was that really me doing that? But, you know, it was really a productive period. And um, But later on, uh, I then uh, got commissioned and made a film for Channel 4 Television, which was uh, when it first started in 1982, made a documentary about my hometown and about an, an old ironworks where people used to live and I did a, a film company. And shortly after that, uh, I got married and lived in Nottingham and... Uh, everything was fine, and I did some teaching and freelance work and things. But and unfortunately, uh, my wife got quite ill in the early nineties, and she got motor neurone disease, and um, then it all started unraveling around that time uh, because she actually became very ill, and then my mother dropped dead during that period, and. Uh, a few months later, my father dropped dead suddenly, and then my wife died. So they, they, I lost them all within the space of 10 months. Right. Gosh. And I got two little children, uh, about seven and four, when uh, when the, when that happened, and, and my life went off the rails somewhat. And what was it for our listeners that when your life went off the rails, what did you notice? What did you, what did you go through? Well, I went through extreme isolation because um, – 
particularly when my mother died and everything, I had to go and uh, live in a separate house, uh, well, a flat, uh, a couple of miles away and visit my children and my wife and everything. But the marriage started breaking down and all sorts of things. I got involved with all sorts of wrong people because it was total isolation. And I shan't go into every depth on this, but uh, to give you one example, uh, in those days there was um, where I lived, there was no... uh, there's no internet, remember? There's no internet. There was no yes. mobile phones. I had to communicate with my wife on a fax machine because she lost her voice, uh, if you can remember what a fax machine is. I was so isolating that I, I, I went to the pub every night where I knew someone who ran it. Um, and I didn't drink a lot, but I sat in that pub every night just watching the crowds, everyone laughing and everything. It's quite lonely in a crowd. And, of course, yes. there's been quite a number of, you know, doing this project, which we'll talk about later, quite a few books written on that kind of topic. And uh, so that was my first notion of what isolation means. Yes, yeah. And, um, you know, I I am going to skim over some things in a way, but I I must say before I go any further that I actually uh, am an active participant of a, a thing at Derby Hospital and Chesterfield sometimes called Expert Patient, where I actually help train third-year medical students from Nottingham and Sheffield hospitals in mental health. And so I tell my story to them, um, and then I take notes and then come back to see the doctors and and give a a, a breakdown of how they've handled things with body language types of questions and all this kind of stuff. So I do an analysis and present it to the doctors and give them some guidance on... uh, on approaching mental health from a medical viewpoint. I do a lot of work with the NHS. What a remarkable thing to do. Yeah. And what is the aim of that project? The idea is to inform, uh, usually, not necessarily always, but usually, you know, uh, in the 20s, the people who are training, and they haven't yeah. got any real knowledge or experience of what mental health is. And I always tell them, that in a real-life situation, we'll not have the luxury of having an hour to last an hour. You'll not have a, an hour to talk to someone to find a life story. You only get it in small yeah. chunks. You'll have to refer, signpost to other people. You'll have to do more work. And so over the years, I've been doing that. I also have actually chaired meetings of NHS, including, you know, with IUP people in organize, you know, in the organisation. And... and I'm really proud of that side of it as well because um, though it's not the artistic side, I've actually um, done that in tandem with what I'm doing. So it informs what you're doing in a way. What a remarkable thing to be able to provide because it's that lived experience as well, isn't it? I was in, uh, that's what got me out of my um, cutting a lot out of the story, but what finally got me out of uh, being around inappropriate people and losing lots of money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, eventually, I ended back in my parents' old house for a while and I saw a poster, uh, wanted volunteers for the British Red Cross. I did seven and a half years working with dementia services with, with the wow. Red And that led on to me, actually, in the end, being invited to London to a con- national conference on loneliness because they, they launched a thing with the co-op um, on loneliness and so I went on Sky News talking about that live in the studio. Channel 4 came and did a documentary on me for the Channel 4 News. And that gave me the seed of the idea for the project. 
that I did over the last three years, which we can talk about now, but we can talk about later. So, so it's that's where possible. it came from. That's where it came from. Yeah, I've been wondering oh. as I've been reading about you. Where did where was the you know yeah, the brain cell behind you, that? Cross and unfortunately, like these things, they don't last forever. And the the Red Cross unit got closed down. It was kind of a social thing that met in different towns right. in Derbyshire. But like yeah. so many of these things, lack of funding, it wasn't that they weren't any good. They closed them down, and yeah. all the people who who worked there. Uh, both paid staff and volunteers we still very much um some of us keep in touch and we still very much miss it because i think there's still a need for it and yes. um yeah so from that I, I got involved with rethink mental illness which is in in uh, london um in fact i'm going to their members day in november in london um but i won two awards there um one for art and one for poetry national awards and uh, I got involved with the regional committee. I went to loads of training courses and meetings in London for that. And so I've become involved with a lot of, you know, mental health things, mind as well, you know, not so much, but, you know. Um, and uh, one of the proudest things I did, again, that completely closed down because of funding, was um, – something called the Mental Health Action Group, which was based in Derbyshire. We did a lot of work nationally, very well received. We did a national conference at the Royal College of Nursing on uh, issues to do with uh, transport and mental health. And we got all the heads of industry from Virgin Plains and Network Rail and two government ministers and uh, Alistair Campbell and all kinds of people came to it. We set that up. So, you know, I'm... I, lots of prime things to be associated with in the past absolutely what was the aim of thinking about transport and mental health what what were you trying to achieve because that sounds like such an interesting project well there's a whole uh, uh, document on it. it it was all different threads to do with for example we also uh, added a, a professional training video made about bus travel and, and rail travel about all hidden disabilities you know where people have got bipolar or they've got um anxiety issues and it's recognizing yes. these uh, yeah. when uh, you know uh, recognizing these things and, and and for the staff to be able to deal with that um and these are sold commercially but again that's closed down because the the funding was pulled out by the clinical right. group and it was very successful we also did breakout groups on media on benefits and, and all kinds of issues you know um so unfortunately that's gone you know, the, the conference itself was very successful and uh, covered a lot of ground, but it's also not wasn't confined to public transport. For example, you know the, the thing that, that's quite common now where people wear a lanyard with sunflowers on it to recognise? Yes, yeah, yeah. That came um, originally only in airports. That's where it came from. You know, it wasn't used generally. And so we, we, we tried to find that. We even advised on the Olympic Games on London Transport. And I even gave a lecture to uh, members of the uh, um, network rail and different heads of departments in their headquarters at, at London Transport on, on um, issues. For example, you know, now they're on about maybe shutting down ticket offices at, at uh, railway stations, but that's very good, uh, bad because people have genuine inquiries and concerns, you know, so there's somewhere yeah. to go. And there's all that kind of stuff. So I've done a lot of work in that area. And um, 
So, you know, it's really good to be involved with that. I'm in awe of just how many projects you've been involved in, but a lot of them, that core theme being about loneliness then. So I'm just thinking the work that you did around transport, whether some of that is also facilitating people to get out and about in the community, which is good for well-being. Well, and, that's um, a good, that is actually quite a good um, bullet point there because I, yeah. I, what I haven't mentioned is in 2017, I was fortunate enough to be commissioned by a kind of a competition in a way by uh, called the Rail Delivery Group now, and you might hear them on the radio. They're in charge of ticketing and all kinds of things, and they chose a number of multi-diversion artists, um, uh, and I was one of them to actually produce some artwork uh, on the theme of getting out more on trains. You know, for example, yes. to try yeah. and, no disability should be a barrier, and it was called no Absolutely. boundaries. And so what they did, I don't know where, I forget where the other people went, but that's where would I like to go in England? So I went to Cornwall for a week and they sent me to Cornwall. I had to use a train and public transport. That was great. And they paid for me hotel and all my materials and I produced artwork. And it went all around the main stations. We had a launch at uh, um, King's Cross. It went to Waterloo, Edinburgh, Cardiff, went all over the country, the exhibition. So that, that was a really Gosh. good thing to try yeah. and get people moving again on, on on trains and now we've got we've got a real uh, i think the demographics that's the wrong word but now there's, there's a big drop in numbers on, on people catching trains for leisure and buses and post-pandemic yes. so there's still a lot of work to be done there you know on that um but I, i've always loved traveling around i go on a lot of day coach trips and train trips i love it but some people don't and I think that somehow, you know, adds to the isolation, which is still with us today. Yes. It's not something that just yeah. happened in the pandemic. And, um, but anyway, that's an exciting thing to do. Absolutely. Way. So it's interesting, isn't it? We brought the P word in. I call it the P word now. But obviously, you've been doing this work for years, trying to address loneliness, isolation, barriers to getting out in the community, connecting with people, traveling for enjoyment, you know, the scenery, the destination. But along came a pandemic as well, which obviously had a huge impact on isolation and loneliness. And, you know, the kind of mental health theme over the last year has been loneliness and isolation which is why I was so glad when you reached out and said that you'd love to come and, and talk with me um because what I'm really interested in then obviously you have your own personal narrative and that's what I wanted people to hear and you know to resonate with people's human story you know behind what they do and obviously your stories led you to be involved in all the, the fan gosh I've written down just so many things I didn't know about you and I've read up on you before doing the podcast as well it really is quite remarkable what you can do but also actually from what you've said already then how it's helped you well, with your journey and your I'll well-being you, in 2017 that was an amazing year I, I did that um, thing for you know uh, the network rail type thing I yes, also yeah. uh, won uh, the art award uh, the Pringle art award by rethink mental illness and the same year, I got my first arts council, major arts council grant, grant which I did on um, the mainly abstract things on portals, windows, doors, reflections, and that kind of thing. That was all in the same year. And also in that year, um, I, I got selected to represent England, uh, one of the people from England, at an art exhibition in Brussels. And uh, so um, what was fantastic is that the uh, I got funding uh, given to me some from Unite Union, but also very very touching that the nurses at a mental health unit 
bake cakes and raise money for me at Derby, which is wow. fantastic. I mean, you think of helping the nurses out, and the nurses helped me. I'll never forget that yeah. gesture. Gosh, well, they made loads yeah. of cakes and raised money for me to go to Brussels, you know, and that was a fantastic year. Doesn't that just show you about the human spirit and that compassion for others and how it can be good? I'm sure, you know, that benefit for them as well as yourself. I'm a, a huge, huge advocate for showing compassion for us. other people can also benefit your own well-being. So even I mean, just you know, a small one, act. One time when I, uh, back about 1998, I had a suicide attempt and ended up in a mental Right. Which was the same one. Um, but even there, um, I came around a bit and I, I started writing poetry and I, I won awards for my poetry when I was in hospital, you know. And so I don't yes. know intention of yeah. ever going back in there as a patient, but I, I've got a big connection with the place. And, and yeah. so uh, out of adversity, sometimes good things can happen. Well, know? that's the thing that resonated with me when you first reached out is that we have your story. We have the things that have helped you. And, and really, for me, this podcast is about other human beings connecting with these stories and going, look what this person has done. Look what's helped them through adversity. So you have so many strings to your bow because you're an artist, but you're also a poet, aren't you? Um, and as I say, we'll give people links at the end as well and in the show notes because they have to go and see, not just hear about this stuff, but they have to go see what you've produced, what you continue well, I, to produce. I, I, I've given performance poetry and once I've got a wonderful friend and his wife who, who run a pottery and cafe in a local town and I once uh, set up I didn't I don't like traveling in the dark I didn't want to travel to n- nearby cities so I set up a yes. uh, a music and poetry evening once a month at the at this cafe and got, got a diverse number of people I got poet laureates wow. got uh, women's choir I got science fiction writers I got all kinds of different art Gosh. forms to in which is fantastic because, you know, when people go, oh, I go to a folk club or I go to a disc club. But this was very loose. So that different yes. discipline and different interests have come together. Oh, I never thought about listening to science fiction novels. I never thought about listening to a woman's choir. They all came together and did little pieces. And that was very exciting. And um, they can't do it now because it's in a group and it hasn't got time. But I'm open to set something up again like that. Um and um, bringing people together, you know, from different. I mean, I'm involved with helping to set up a local permanent arts trail in the town now, and um, etc. There's too many things to tell you, otherwise, you'd be here all day. But <laughs> there are. Know. I was just thinking we could have you on multiple episodes, and we, we must do so. The kind of overriding theme then is so, you know, something like that that you've set up, it's, it's about people who just go above and beyond to do things, to give back to your community and people, but how you're igniting people's passions. As you say, it's so interesting, isn't it? I run a local community project here, and sometimes I have conversations about things I never thought I would probably be interested in, but it's great when things are presented. So, you know, just allowing people to come out connect to feel safe in a nice you know secure place and to learn and hear something new what a wonderful thing to do for people but also does that continue to have an impact on your own well-being when you're doing things and when you have done things like this i think so yeah i mean um you know unfortunately uh, things have changed since the pandemic and there's, there's yeah, so yeah. many things and also with funding cuts as well there's not so many things but luckily yeah. though I, I, I am a sociable person i'd rather be with people i've done collaborations as well that i'm capable and you know to do things on my own some people want to be in groups and i don't particularly want to be in groups so much now so that's really important as well that people can take away from listening to this episode is that you know it's about finding what works for you then that we don't want to have something too prescriptive in terms of what people must do to address loneliness as well yeah choice 
And Absolutely. therefore, I think if people want to be in groups, it should be a place for them to go. There should be funding for that. Yes. You know, there's lots of things where there should be things, you know. And, you know, okay, everyone's going on about the cost of living. It's not, life isn't just about paying the gas bill. It's not. You know, it's about other things that are intangible or, or, or esoteric. That's yeah. a really good point. So I was thinking it sounds like there's a lot of value to what you do, the things that you engage in from your community work to your artwork, your, your poetry, that there's a lot of value in that and how that is good for your overall well-being. Yeah, I mean, from the, from the uh, and I do want to talk specifically about the Loneliness Project, but from that, which officially finished in April, uh, I've been engaged by Dalmish County Council, Public Health, Suicide Percent prevention unit photographing um uh these benches that you know with signs on come and chat to people here and all that that's going i've been working for that i've done a uh a community project uh for a 200 year old village um i've done lots of things you know uh recently because it comes out of the work i've been doing some of it indirect directly but um the, the idea for the project you only the lonely with a question mark the question mark's important some people leave it off is because some people love solitude it's not necessarily uh isolation yes, really negative. good point yeah that was really important but yep. what's really disappointing is that um i did all the research and got lots of things in place before march 2020 when the pandemic came in yes it was yeah all over the country for example in uh Norfolk and Suffolk, they've got the Coffee Caravan Project, I think it's called, where people have old caravans in Maybars, people can have a chat with the coffee. There was lots of initiatives. I wanted to follow wow. them. Uh, there was one called Calm Town in Oxfordshire, and there's lots of things I was going to go and visit and do work with, but then the pandemic came and closed it all down. Yes. So yeah. I, I actually changed, and there's going to be lots of sound pieces. It's completely different, not completely different, but very different feel to what I was going to do. But when the pandemic came in, that was it. Now, before the pandemic, I'd been to a few places. I photographed a, an artist in uh, or no, in, in Worthing, and I went down to Birmingham on sea and met two lovely ladies who, who did the original type of chat bench. And I did yes, this yeah. work. I went and, and gave a talk at uh, what was then called Colston Hall, isn't now in Bristol, on a loneliness conference. And there was a lot opening up, and then the old thing closed down. And I thought, how can I carry on? How can I carry on? And I found a way to carry on. So and let's what, talk no. about that then. Let's talk about that brainchild, that way to carry on. Well, first of all, I owe enormous depth of gratitude to <laughs> the people of Belpa. Belpa is a small town in Derbyshire, a very nice town. And the only thing they're called the Belpa Moo during the pandemic, where it was um, set up by uh, an individual who God, I forgot his name, and I, I'm sorry about that. I have to think of his name in a minute. Um, anyway, set this wonderful thing up, and uh, people mood outside the houses for two minutes every night at half past six. So the, the, it was like a, a, a sound going all around the town in different houses. Yes, yeah. So I thought, I want to go and photograph this. And at that time, you weren't allowed to move around. Yes. It's about six miles away. So I actually... I had a project, I had um, mentoring support from uh, Stella and Chris and one or two other people in the team. I got a letter written to show the police that was working because that was a loophole. Yes. Was working. Yeah. So I kept a distance. I went out and photographed people 
interviewed people. And this went on for quite a long while, and then there was a gap, and then the lockdowns came, came, went, and there was on again. It's now kind of finished, but there's a common artery between all the people doing that. And um, that was a wonderful thing to do, and that was the main was, thing I did. But I also yeah. did some other things as well. I did um, uh, a guy who was out of work, fire eater, got him to blow fire behind the window. There's a lady who was knitting stuff for NHS, looking after her father, photographed her through a window. And perhaps the, most, the one I like most is, is a guy who actually um, didn't go out of the house, but he, he, he uh, I said, can you show me something in the window that gives you hope? So I lifted up two model motor caravans, and then there was a cloud came over, and it's like a dreamscape in the window with them holding up these things. Oh, so there's always something interesting to look for, you know, and it's very poetic. And then... I'm very proud as well that I took a, a friend who lived in another town uh, who had been in uh, lockdown because of, um, you know, vulnerability of health for many weeks. Yes. And she yes. has two dogs. And, and, and so there's a, a long path down to a door and we've got the, the dog stood. George stood at the gate and the other dog in the background and with her in the background. And um, I entered that for the uh, Historic England competition on uh, lockdown Britain and it, it got Part, uh, the image got took as part of the permanent collection on lockdown for historic England. So wow. that was a really nice thing that happened. And I, I always say, half jokingly, I really miss the lockdowns because, you know, the government used to go on about levelling up, but that was a true levelling up. That everyone, well, perhaps yeah. naively, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're levelled up. But, you know, to me, we, we all technically were levelled up. So it was a kind of more equality society, and uh, also being able to capture that as well. As I just, you know, people can look at these photographs, can't they, on your yeah. website and various links that we'll post because they need to be seen as well as heard about, don't they? I think another thing as well that personally, I um, I uh, discovered or re- certainly rediscovered in depth um, nature because though I can't walk particularly well because uh, I ain't got a very good leg, but I, I managed to go out, uh, you know, and sit down or whatever and, and go into local wards, little local wards, take the car out and go somewhere and discover nature. And yes. so, so yeah. the exhibitions I've been doing aren't one exhibition, a number of exhibitions, and two of them went in the local hospital and they went up the day before lockdown. No one could see them apart from the staff and the patients. Even I didn't get in to see it. One of the exhibitions wow, I did, because, yeah. you know, the lockdown wasn't continuous, if you remember. There was blocks and it sort of went into lockdown. Yes, yeah. One really? I put up at this museum and uh, the next day, lockdown is there for a month. Nobody saw it. Age consented a, a, a couple, three pages in a magazine. Nobody saw the magazine because it never got distributed. The exhibition never got seen. So many so, roadblocks. Uh, but luckily... Um, I know this is a, a con- continuous podcast that will be out of date when I say it, but in uh, November, December and part of January, it is now going back to that museum again, Erewash Museum in Ilkeston, Derbyshire, for two two and a bit months. I'm doing a lecture there as well. It would be the exhibition that never was, plus some new stuff. Yes. That's going up. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you get to have it as well. You know, the there's a lot of adversity cool. there, isn't there? You know, in the, the continued lockdowns and what we could and couldn't do and, you know, getting hopeful for things that, that can't happen. And one thing that's really important, there was one particular period that really annoyed me and I got a, a, what, quite a nice image and a poem 
which is in the show, was when we weren't allowed to sit on benches. We were told it was going yes. out for exercise, not fun. You couldn't enjoy it. You've got to go out for exercise. There was one period when some woman got arrested for drinking coffee outside, and that really annoyed me. And uh, so at the time, I, I photographed a bench with bright sunshine, orange sunshine on it, and you could see the image uh, in the local park. And I thought, I didn't sit on it, you know. And then I wrote a poem about that. So the poem's gone in the exhibition with the photograph. I also, uh, my friend who, who was the artist in Worth, and she put together, she's also a very good poet, and she put together an anthology, which was forwarded by Benjamin Zappanaya, and, and um, I did a poem for that as well, which was uh, written in lockdown. So there's a lot of things where artists were puncturing the perceived thing about, you know, we can't, we're not allowed to enjoy lockdown, you know. Really, you're kind of creating history there, aren't you? All of the things that we've been through, how much adversity we had within the wider context of adversity. So many things you said there really resonated with in terms of, you know, tackling loneliness and isolation in general, but obviously off the back of the pandemic still a huge issue with people a lot of people are very hesitant still no, that's forgotten how, how to be going on yes there's got to be yeah. a, there should be a major study on this i think you know um, a good point it will be in time we were frightened to touch well i was to touch a style or a latch gate because it might have germs on it covid this is before we had uh, inoculations and we had all this hand wash that was you know very expensive to buy at the time and you, took, you couldn't touch something like that, thinking, oh, my God, you've got to go and scrub yourself, scrub the vegetables down. It was really intense, wasn't it, at one time? Yes, yeah, really was, really was. And if you think, you know, all of those barriers then to people being able to get out, feel comfortable, learning how to be around people again, a lot of us communicated online via messages, um, that there are still quite a few barriers, and I find that in my community project now for people still feeling comfortable going out and knowing how to be around people and for a lot of people we do need that human contact you know whether it's physical contact or talking to somebody so your loneliness and isolation project you mentioned it's kind of come to an end at the moment but you have a facebook page as well tell us a little bit about the kind of main body of that project because it's so so interesting well yeah the page still exists um uh, the loneliness and isolation page but really uh um, it sort of changed a bit now because at the time when it was really going, I also did, and this is really important as well, um, that went on there but elsewhere, there's a, a thing called Mad, Mad Covid Diaries, which is a number of artists all over Britain right? Um, with mental health issues, so to speak. We, we, we set up a thing called Mad Covid Diaries and I kept a, a blog and they're still online. Uh, I think they're doing a retrospective of them shortly. And that was really important. And I used to post pictures, bits of writing and everything on that. I did 38 episodes, I think it was. Wow. And, uh, you know, that uh, mine was called Brave New World, question mark. You know, and it, that was really important. And at the time, though, unfortunately, we've fallen out now. I did a, a, a lot of collaborative work with a, with a woman artist in, in Derbyshire and uh, and we, we, we came up with some interesting joint things, painting of photographs combined and and all that that went in the blog you know and uh, so that that was really important it was a really important outlet i'm really sad that's finished now that that blog because yes it, it yeah. really good. and one thing they did in the latter part was uh, artists made a, a piece of work and they had a box 
and then they sent it out to people and then you put in a present to the next artist and there's one kept in the box. That went round by post. Wow. And that gave me the idea. Now, um, I must admit, this is part of the Only Lonely Project. Another collaboration is part of that project. Um, I think it was last year. I, I lose track of years, but um, I got commissioned by uh, New Perspectives Theatre, which is a professional theatre company in Nottingham. Uh, the, uh, the Small Things Festival, uh, which was a wonderful festival uh, for a few days, all people doing small things in the community. So I did one called Touch. And I had a box made with touch inscribed on it. And then we worked on a little lake near Wollerton Park in Nottingham. And I made Polaroids and then I put them up. I put them all in, in uh, a box. And people had to come with medical gloves, uh, you know, surgeon's gloves, and pick out an image and hang it up on a clothesline in between trees right. and, and then write yeah. some pieces and then put the gloves into, into a dustbin. And that, that was the kind of thing. Because it was about that, you know, transition period when we we weren't sure if we touched things, and so it was all about t- yes, yeah, and feelings. That was the the thing, and so that was quite quite a nice thing to do. Um, I had worked with them before on a. I learned how to do well, help with script development, and uh, worked on a play on uh, single mothers in Nottingham in the nineteen fifties, sixties, and so. I'm really interested in theatre. That's one development I like to do. So I got commissioned to do that, and, and that was really nice. And I had a love then of, of using Polaroids. So I've sent an image about that. I really love Polaroids as a way of working now. So, um, you know, it was a weird thing, that that transition period when it wasn't quite a lockdown, but it was a lockdown, you know, and that that was a weird period as well. It really was, yeah, and because I, I struggle to know how to kind of refer to what we're in at the moment, where it's still around, but we're not in lockdowns. But if you say that, you know, in psychology, we sometimes call that a spiky profile, where we've got lockdown and then we're not, but we're still not right. sure. Um, and, you know, coming back to the kind of loneliness, isolation, well-being, is how that impacted on people. What can we do? And, you know, whether fear then made you, you stay at home more, what you're allowed to do, fear of doing the wrong thing. You know, there's a lot of distance there, isn't there? As human beings, we want to be around other people yeah. mostly. People themselves didn't use a car for weeks. You know, it stood outside yes. the drive. We had to walk everywhere because we're frightened to use a car. I mean, because I, I can't, I can walk around a bit, but I can't stand on my leg. Because, you know, sometimes I'm ulcers. I can't. And so, therefore, I couldn't go shopping. I could not go in a big queue to supermarket at that time and actually line a volunteer to bring me food to me outside cupboard. You know, there was all kinds of things. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. There isn't one solution for loneliness. This goes uh, way, way back before the pandemic and afterwards. There's not one solution because it's different things for different individuals. You know, some people... You know, I mean, I know a lady who's a great artist who runs an allotment. She lives on the allotment a lot of the time, and she chooses that lifestyle because she loves it. But me, you know, though I like working on me, I'm very much a gregarious person. I like to mix with people and go out with yeah. people as well. Yeah. So it's not really, you know, me. But there's all different things in between as well, hidden away when we don't know about it and they don't know about it because I used to be really depressed, and now I'm just anxious. And there's a difference. Depression yes. uh, denies any kind of, uh, it's very inward looking, desires no uh, projection of the outside world. But it's all about me, me, me. But when, when I get anxiety, I can get it bad. But that is 
is not depression as such because it's like specific to different things. So there's there's many you know many shades in between, and I do find the people, and it, it's not a one size fits all solution, is it? And I think it's really good to talk about that as well, that when we're looking at addressing things like loneliness, looking at mental health issues off the back of the pandemic, things that may have been pre-existing even before that, is sometimes people can get very stuck in, I should behave this way, or this is the best way to manage or treat this. And I think it's really good to say it needs to be quite person-centered, that it's okay, you know, it's quite healthy to be able to spend time by yourself, but knowing when that might become problematic, knowing when your mental health might be struggling as a result of that so I think you know people like yourselves the work that you do I think it's really good to try and educate and going back to what you were saying you know the earlier on about you know training junior doctors that you know if you haven't got an hour to talk to someone to really find out who they are how can you really get that information about them what they need what they don't need I think that's an invaluable thing to be able to do to try and you know especially from that lived experience yeah, lived experience. One thing I did in the past, I don't do it now, or maybe they will do. I was what they call part of a living library. Have you heard of those? Yes. Uh, well, yes, I've heard of the human library that started off in Denmark, didn't it, in Copenhagen? Yeah. Well, I did that two or three times at these conferences at universities. Wow. Yes. Yeah. A book, and then you come and talk, and then you go back on the shelf. And occasionally people come up with, oh, this is a great idea, you know, and, but it's been done before. You know, I did it 10 years ago, but it's, it's, it doesn't deny the knowledge it's a very good I thing i followed the project avidly because it's such a fantastic idea mm. you know uh uh anyway the uh the project was originally going uh, like i don't mention this wakefield in yorkshire is going to work there a lot there's a lot set up and then the pandemic coming couldn't happen it took nearly three years for it to finally realize yes. in its form and i had a fantastic exhibition at, at wakefield a lot of support from the people there from the art house. And, uh, you know, but it, it took, uh, I think they had four changes of staff and complete quietness for a year. You know, it took a lot of doing to actually realise that, a lot of effort. You know, it's a bit like an iceberg, what you see. There's a huge amount of work goes underneath. And yes, I have yes. the fantastic support I've had from a wonderful team of people helping me. You know, I've got, the names won't mean anything maybe, but, you know, there's the head of an art organisation at Quad. Peter helps me, mentoring me. There's Stella who lives in Wales. She's a mentor. She helps me. There's Chris. You know, there's a team of people in the background supporting, helping, encouraging me, and friends as well. But talking of friends, it's, it's a minor point, but a different point is that because uh, I'm back in the village where I was born, you know. Right. I live opposite where my parents are buried, actually. You know. Gosh. But I've got a lot of old friends living around here, and a lot of some of them, I've given up, you know, or they say, well, I'm old because I'm getting older and everything. They say, well, I've done everything. I've seen everything. I don't want to go very far. I don't want to do this and that. But I, I'm getting older too. But I want to do it. You can never see enough. There's always plenty more to do and see, you know. And even if you go to the same place twice, it's different in different light, different things, you know. So I'm still curious about the world. I've been on a weight management course. I've lost over a stone and a half in weight. I've taken up cycle lessons. I've got a little cycle, electric cycle. And, in fact, I've ate my knee last night running through a wall, but never mind. You know, these things are great. You're out there. You're experiencing life, including the pain as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think, uh, and I mean, the guy who was a tutor at college when I was there is over 80 years old. He's still very active doing workshops Mm -hmm. and also is a mentor, you know. 
So I look at um, uh, David Ockney and people like that. When you're artists, you don't you don't pack in because you reach a certain number on the on the page. You absolutely, absolutely. And I'm just thinking what that might do in terms of impact on people's well-being, where perhaps that mindset is about motivation or barriers to wanting to go out and access the community. I'm just thinking, you know, people are listening today and they know somebody or themselves, they might notice that they're struggling a bit, feeling lonely, struggling with getting out and about. Have you got any top tips where well, they could start? Well, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Well, I mean, uh, first of all, depends if you're an artist, then you can, you don't have to be an artist, but you might live in a city, which, I you know, I used to live in a city, but I've got no recent experience of. But it's to observe the world, to try and go out a little bit at a time and, and look at things and, and reimagine I like it. that. Yeah. Uh, particularly if you live in the countryside or access to the countryside, so there's many variants, whether you've got transport, can afford it, whatever. But get out in nature. Nature is really good. And, you know, really recently uh, on therapy, you know, I've done some of that, but, you know, there's a five test, isn't there? You know, touch something, see something, smell something, eat something, you know, do something like that. Just try and reconnect yes. with what's around you, yes. reconnect with nature, recreate with the world. You know, you don't have to go out suddenly into a group of 50 people and start talking to everybody, but you just do what you feel comfortable with a little bit at a time and just build it up in whatever direction you want to take it. But research, try and read things, look on the internet, read up all the time, you know. But yeah. one person's got the answers, you know. I still have wobblies, you know, I still have wobblies. Um, and probably always will. That's part of my makeup, you know. But um, I'm not giving up. I think it's, it's all right to say it's useful for people to hear that, that often in somebody's mental health or well-being journey, it isn't I have or I don't have, that sometimes there will be wobbles, there will be ups and downs, and how we learn to kind of navigate the world with those present, what we can do, and it may be a smaller thing one day bigger thing another day I love the way you said break it down into small steps don't have to do everything at once you know that those things you can start off with small in terms of people finding more about you people want to find you obviously I'll put these links in the show notes as well how can they find out more about you where's the best place to start well um, I'm I'm spread out over different things uh, I've got my, you know, my brand new website, which isn't quite finished yet. But that, that is why I've done that is because it, it's a cleaner version. I don't mean the other one's dirty. I mean it, it's a, it, it's a brighter yeah. version of the other one because the the other one I've got has got a lot of articles on it about you know what I've done, conferences and this that and the other. But yes. the, so yeah. that's still there. That's still running in parallel with a lot of kind of dense information on it. But the new one has got just mainly photographs on it. And it's a video of one of the exhibitions, and uh, that's TonyFisher.com. Well, I, 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 I mean, I, I have sent the links with them on. So uh, I'll you know, put both know, of those in the wrong. show notes. As well. I'm, on, I'm on something called UPIC, which is one I use. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Flickr. I'm on all different things. You know, uh, I mainly use Flickr though for like storing images because I can download them. But the one yes. called UPIC's rather fun, and Instagram's for now. Instagram used to be exclusively for photographers. Now it's kind of like got a bit blurred with TikTok type things coming in, but I just do photographs on there. And so there's all various sites, but you can pick and mix or choose whichever you want, really. Probably my new website, because it's got links to some of these things. I'm also a member of something yes. very important called Outside In, 
which is for multi-diversion artists, and, and that's um, a very good organisation. And uh, they made me Artist of the Month a couple of, uh, well, a few months ago, and, and they do. Congratulations. Oh, that's really good site, um, really good people. I've just entered a, a thing on there, I don't know if I'm going to win anything, for the theme on humanity, which is a, a competition, you know, if you like, or a show. So I've gone in for yes. that. But uh, so I've always been interested in finding different places where I can connect. And so there's lots of them, but I don't want to overwhelm people with these 25 different places. What I'm thinking is, as well as the fact that people will definitely want to find out more about you, but by looking through, so I've noticed this the last couple of weeks as I've been looking through your artwork, reading some of your poems, is just how good that is for your well-being. So not only people finding out about your project, perhaps what I'd love people to take away from this podcast as well is how to perhaps feel a bit better by looking at the work that you do reading, but also perhaps how they could start to help in their own communities, how they can start to help tackle loneliness in themselves and other people. You said something at the beginning, you know, that even in a room full of others, you can still be lonely. And that I think is so true, that loneliness doesn't always present in the way that we think. And I think that was important for people, perhaps when they're just noticing people around them or for themselves, how loneliness may show up. Loneliness is not all sitting at home, is it? You can yeah, feel lonely when you're out and about. I this notion, or I, I did myself a while ago, that yes, yeah. really old people who like maybe lost their partners and, you know, they were on their own. Yes. Not loneliness. Yeah. It can be That's the common, yeah. Child. It can be any age. It can be any demographic. It can be anybody, you know. it's not. And that's exactly it. Yes, yeah. It's that, you know, if we don't know what we're looking for in ourselves and other people, it's hard to then get to that next step in terms of what we do about it as well. But the thing that I've kind of learned from A today, I've learned so much, but also just from from reading your work and from corresponding with you is just it doesn't take a huge amount to start to help in your community, to help other people and also the benefits that you can get from it yourself so tony thank you so much i'm gonna to have to have you back on again because there's just too much to fit in one episode so i'll be honored if you'd come back on at a later date the and yeah. um the sequel yeah it's been absolutely wonderful having you thank you so much okay thank you it's been lovely to do this yeah thank you for listening to this episode of the adversity psychologist podcast it's so lovely to have you here i'm dr tara quintrillo and you can find me at dr tara co.uk you'll see everything i'm up to free resources my media work and my new covid recovery clinic as well remember to please rate and review my podcast it really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us the adversity psychologist podcast helping you one step at a time